Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. This is Marty McDermott, the president of Franchise Interviews, and I can't start today's show without talking about the ISO 10002. You know, some people just love to complain, but companies have a responsibility to care. The International Organization for Standardization, ISO, has revised ISO 10002, the standard for complaint handling. This document enables organizations to foster a customer-focused environment, open the feedback, heightening their customer satisfaction. You can get the ISO 10002 standard from the American National Standards Institute, ANSI, the U.S. member body of ISO. Visit ANSI.org forward slash complain to learn more. That's ANSI.org forward slash complain to learn more. Franchise Interviews. From Easton, Pennsylvania to Sydney, Australia, you're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews. Welcome to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews has been giving an up-close, behind-the-scenes look at franchising and entrepreneurship. Listen to interviews with franchisers, franchisees, franchise authors, franchise experts, and attorneys. And now... Welcome your host, Marty McDermott, and Franchise Interviews. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Franchise Interviews, where for over 14 years now, we've been asking the entrepreneurs all one. I'm your host, Marty McDermott. I'm the president of Franchise Interviews, and we have a great show today. Well, we're meeting with John Austinson, and John is a consultant, investor, author, and international speaker specializing in the area of non-food franchising. Having served as the president of Inc. 500 Franchise System and is now a multi-brand franchisee himself, John is uniquely positioned to educate others on franchising and franchise selection. We're going to talk to John about that in just a moment on Franchise Interviews. So stick around because we have a great show. Need a business loan? Talk to Diamond Financial Services, the experts in franchise financing nationwide. Whether you're looking to start a franchise, acquire an existing franchise, or expand your territory through opening new locations, Diamond Financial stands by your side start to finish. From pre-qualification to packaging and presenting your application to securing a financial commitment and through the loan closing process, Diamond Financial is there. While you're waiting, thousands of others are making their financial dreams come true. Don't wait any longer. Pre-qualify now by completing a confidential, no-obligation financial analysis. Let's face it, traditional banks just aren't in the business of financing small business. At Diamond Financial, we specialize in securing franchise loans from $100,000 to $3 million and equipment leasing up to $150,000. Let us help you get started. Go to www.franchisefunding.net or call 877-508-2274. That's franchisefunding.net, 877-508-2274. Hi, this is Connie McDermott, Administrative Assistant for Franchise Interviews, LLC, and you're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews. From Easton, Pennsylvania to Sydney, Australia, you're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to a very special edition of Franchise Interviews. We're for over 14 years now. 
we've been asking the Franchipreneurs one one. I'm your host, Marty McDermott. I'm the president of Franchise Interviews. And as we were saying earlier, we have a great show today. Well, we're meeting with John Ostensen. And John is a consultant, investor, author, and international speaker specializing in the area of non-food franchising. And having served as the president of an Inc. 500 franchise system and is now a multi-brand franchisee himself, John's uniquely positioned to educate others on franchising and franchise selection. Hi, John. How are you? Welcome to the show. Marty, thanks for having me. I love the show. It's a privilege to be with you. Oh, thank you, John. The privilege is mine. We would like to ask our guest, where are you calling from uh, this morning, John? Calling from Atlanta, Georgia. Nice, nice. Is that where you're pretty much headquartered uh, in, in Atlanta, John? It is, and most of our investments are here in Atlanta as well. However, I, I do have a few satellite locations, but yeah. uh, no, Atlanta's home uh, down here in the south. That's terrific. So we, we've been hosting the show now 14 years, John, and, and I find that you know every single guest seems to have a story as far as how they got involved in franchising. Maybe you can kind of like go back to that beginning and, and you know tell our guests how you got involved in franchising. Yeah, you know, like so many, I uh, had a corporate background, had a great run uh, with some yeah. large uh, Fortune 100, Fortune 1000 companies, and always had that itch to do something a little more entrepreneurial. And, and for right. me, I, I kind of stepped into it. Uh, I, I had the opportunity to, to step in with Fran, uh, Shelf Gene, based here in Atlanta, mm-hmm. a national franchise system that had some yeah. really good growth. And stepped in as president, ran the home office day-to-day, supporting franchise owners with all their marketing needs, the call center, the technology, team, product development. It really had just an amazing experience and had the privilege to see how franchising such better path to business ownership for so many. Mm-hmm. And also had my eyes open to the fact there are other sectors in franchising outside of food. So um, long story short, which I, I'll fill in the blanks in a minute, but yeah. ended up partnering with the founder of Shelf Genie, and uh, we're doing, right. doing what we consider some pretty neat things now. What do you like most about franchising, John? Something kind of like drew you to the to the franchise model. What was it that you liked the most? One, you're working towards uh, profitability. You're not trying to mm-hmm. figure out how to become profitable. <laughs> right. So many of my clients now on the consulting side are, you know, looking at uh, acquisition type entrepreneurship or starting yeah. from scratch. And so, right. you know, I love having those conversations and just weighing the pros and cons and it, helping them understand why I consider franchising to be such a great path. Maybe uh, you, you could talk a little bit about, you know, Frambridge Consulting, John, because I, I know you're involved with that now, and, and, you know, maybe a little bit about the history of Frambridge. Yeah, so Frambridge has two different arms. We've got the capital side and we have the consulting side. On mm-hmm. the capital side, we, uh, we're multi-brand franchisees ourselves of a uh, pool cleaning business, a home cleaning business, and carpet cleaning business here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I've also invested with clients of mine in a driveway repair franchise as well as a mosquito franchise up in Nashville. Um, but where I spend most of my time, because we've set up those businesses to have GMs running the day-to-day, uh, so I'm more of an advisor or consultant to them, it allows me to spend the vast majority of my time working with clients at, on the consulting side. So I'm affiliated right. with a franchise consulting company. We work with over 300 brands helping uh, play matchmakers. So I love taking right. clients through the process and helping them uh, understand the opportunities in front of them. And it seems to me, John, you know, in, in studying your background, I, I know you do a presentation, uh, franchising. It's not all about food. And as you know, you know, if you listen to the show, you know, we, we have a lot of food franchises on the show. You know, I would say that, that kind of joke around that, you know, I hope I never have to interview another pizza franchise, you know, because I feel like it makes you so many of them over the years, you know. But, yeah. but maybe you could talk a little bit about that, you know, and what you talk about in that presentation, because I, I think that's, that's an interesting topic. Yeah, no, there are a few presentations I give, and the one on the non-food side, 
um, you know, for me, my background is not food. I personally don't have an interest in food. I have a lot of right. respect for people that do. Um, right. It's just not my thing. And so instead right. of uh, – about half the world out there is food-related within franchising. I've decided to focus all of my attention outside of food. Um, and what I've found, Marty, is that about 95% of my consulting clients feel the same way. They don't have an interest yeah. in food. Now, there's a 5% that feels passionately about food, uh, but right. 95% right now, and I think that, that was accelerated due to COVID. But um, right. no, it, and so by branding it as non-food franchising, it does raise people's eyebrows as to franchising. What else is out there? So I love uh, right. having that conversation. There's a lot of books out there. You know, over the years, I, I got involved in franchising in um, 19, I guess 1999, John. And, and, you know, over the years, I've read a lot of uh, great books on franchising. And, and one of the ones mm-hmm. that I, is, is on my hit list is, is your book, is The Franchise Path. Why did you write the book? And maybe you could talk a little bit about the book as well. Yeah, you know, I was inspired by – there are franchise books, as you said, but inspired by a few out there that take a fictional tone to uh, teaching truths of a business. And so I think like Lincioni, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and how he tells a, a narrative and a tale around franch- or, um, uh, the teamwork. And so the franchise path, it's a fictional tale of uh, several individuals that uh, you know, are, are antsy to leave the corporate world. And mm-hmm. One ends up going to tech startup, one ends up going the franchising path, and then another one uh, gets a little uh, gun-shy and ends up staying in the corporate world for, for a long right. period of time, but ultimately attracts with them over time and checks in with them every five years. And you know, I'm able to weave a lot of principles into the book and just kind of show what that path can look like uh, for someone that's interested. So some of the other topics that you talk about, John, is, is one of them is, is, you know, why franchising is the better option versus a startup. You, you mm-hmm. kind of talked about, you know, you kind of hit upon, you know, some of the initial ones. But, you know, do you want to talk expand a little bit on that? Because I think that's another interesting topic. You know, what I share with people is when I look at franchising, I think about the benefits being, you know, it may be a recognizable brand. Oftentimes mm-hmm. it may not be. You know, in food, I right. think that brand really matters. Oftentimes another one. Uh, maybe it's less important because, you know, you have emerging franchisors out there. Um, right. But then you've got the business model. Again, you know what it takes to, to build a profitable business. You've got a playbook, uh, you know, that, that takes you through the operations and the marketing and the hiring, and the, every piece of it. Uh, you've got a coach on the sidelines, if you will, in that franchisor that has aligned interests with you. Um, yeah. in, in other franchise owners, I found in my experience both as a franchisor and now as a franchisee, there's so much wealth of knowledge out there when you tap into your peer group of other franchise owners. And, again, they're incentivized in the same way that you are. The more valuable you make your local right. business, the more valuable theirs will be uh, for the system. So, um, you know, in addition to that, you know, I love franchising because you're going in eyes wide open. You've obviously right. got the FDD with your item 19. You're able to go through validation, ask other franchise owners about their experience, how, what's the support been like, how fast was the ramp up. Um, and now, it's interesting, Marty, I'm, I'm a member of the Entrepreneurs Organization, and I mm-hmm. have quite a few clients that, that have started successful startups over right. time, built them into multimillion-dollar right. businesses. A lot of them have an interest in franchising. In some cases, I have to explain to them, uh, you're too entrepreneurial. So if someone can <laughs> stay within right. the lines and, and wants to put their own thumbprints all over everything, franchising may not be the best path for them. However, for so many that have already started their own businesses, they love the idea of being able to step into something uh, that has been somewhat scripted ahead of time. 
But I had a, a gentleman on the show a long time ago. His name was George Native, and he started, I think it was Boston Market, John. And, and he said something very clever when yeah. he said that, you know, franchising gives you the opportunity to start on third base. He's a baseball fan, you know, and he's saying, you know, and, yeah. and when you're on third base, it's much easier to get quicker to home than it is by just starting, you know, from scratch, like, like you mentioned, you know, is, you know, creating the system and, uh, you know, avoiding a lot of the pitfalls, you know, as you know, that, that a lot of franchisers mm-hmm have made in the beginning, you know, so I, I mean, I, I think that's, that's fantastic. We find, you know, in, in doing this show such a long time now, John, is, is I found that, you know, a lot of people who kind of express interest in franchising in the early phases, they don't know where to begin because it seems like there's so much out there today, isn't there? I, I've, like, I've seen like all different numbers, like sometimes it's like, you know, 3,000 systems or 3,500 systems in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And so many right. of them, they just, they don't even know where to begin. You know, for, from everything, you know, you've learned up to this point, what advice would you give to our listeners in their quest to, to, to buy a franchise? Yeah, so no, starting at, at a high level, there are close to 4,000 franchise systems, and there are new yeah. ones coming on board all the time. And if you look mm-hmm. at their websites, you know, they all are putting their best foot forward. So uh, you really want to know as, as, as a potential investor or owner what's behind the scenes. And so what we've done with the FCC is we've culled that down to around 300 brands that we feel have a strong leadership team, great uh, financial models, you know, good validation. Um, it, we have relationships with the vast majority of those. And then from there, I take clients through a process, a several-step process, and we talk about you know, different dimensions and how do you look at one business versus another and what do you want right. your day-to-day to look like and do you like large right. teams or small teams. And we go through just a lot of factors and what is that long-term plan uh, for them. And uh, ultimately what I find is you know, we, we hit on funding, we hit on legal, we hit on all sorts of mm-hmm. aspects through the process. And ultimately, I find about 80% of my clients end up buying into something that was not on their radar previously. Wow. In fact, it couldn't have been further from their radar. But you know, once wow. we peel back that onion and I really get to know them and I expose them to you know, the types of opportunities, you know, I just had uh, an attorney buy into a um, mosquito franchise outside of Boston. Right. Uh, you know, last month, I did a couple of deals uh, in the property services space. We did one that was an IV drip bar up in New Jersey. Uh, we did a uh, up in Raleigh. We had a uh, auto-related one. There's just so mm-hmm. many sectors that, again, people don't think of when they think of franchising. You know, once we go through those, then we, you know, I'm able to share with them that, hey, if you look at the website today, you might see five locations for this brand. However, they just did 60 deals. These are going to be opening up over the next six months. Um, so it's understanding kind of the story behind them and how do we look at franchisors at different stages of development. Um, a really interesting data point the sources I subscribe to and put a lot of credence in are projecting mm-hmm. franchise sales in 2021 to be up 40% over pre-pandemic wow. levels. Wow. That thing in. That is a big, big number. <sighs> That's amazing. And what, what I'm seeing in my business, Marty, is we're, we're well north of that 40% number year to date. There's wow. an unprecedented, unprecedented level of interest. I think uh, there was prior to COVID, but COVID right. only exacerbated and accelerated People want that sense of control. They want to yeah. scratch that itch that they've had for a long time. And so I'm having a blast, absolute blast, working with great people, helping them connect with the right opportunities, learning the new brands and business models that are coming down the chute. It's a great time to be in franchising. However, it's also a very competitive time in that yeah. uh, great markets and great brands are going very fast. 
That's terrific. I mean, those those are some amazing numbers, John. I, I haven't seen those numbers. I remember there was one year, you know, in, in doing the show, you know, because we've been doing it such a long time, but there have been years like that, you know, where you've seen like just this incredible mm-hmm. growth, you know, in, in, in franchising, you know, and, and I think that's, that's really exciting. It, it reminds me, I, a, many years ago, I had um, these two gentlemen on the show, John, and I, they, I think originally they were looking for a food franchise, you know, and um, mm-hmm. they ended up in a window cleaning franchise and they said they loved it, you know what I mean? But Kind of like your story is they never in a million years, they said, would ever picture themselves going into a window cleaning franchise. It just it wasn't even, as you said, on their radar. You know what I mean? And and, and they're very happy, you know, and they became, you know, multi-level franchisees, you know, and, and that's why I think, you know, your type of service and your experience is is is, is so important. Do you, do you have it like advice, John, like as far as, you know, we again, we have all all different types of brands on the show. You know, we have small brands, mm-hmm. you know, the sort of, you know, with maybe like 10 units and then we've had other ones like we have had the biggest you know franchisers you know in in the industry what advice do you give like you kind of like hinted on it earlier but sometimes the brands are less known is that are there advantages to sometimes getting involved with like a maybe a a franchise that that maybe the brand is less known compared to let's say you know subway or you know which has you know tens of thousands of units what are some of the differences that is an excellent question, Marty. What I share with my clients, because we do face this oftentimes, is mm-hmm. um, you know the the pros. So the pros and cons of both. Let's say you've got your subways of the world, those that have hundreds or even thousands of units, and then those that right. may have you know ten or twenty units. Um, right. So for the larger brands, I mean the pros there would be, I mean, is a well-oiled machine. They have seen every mm-hmm. situation. They know every scenario. They know how different markets work. Uh, they've right. tested all the marketing vehicles. But you may go in and be franchise owner number 791, and while they'll support you, it's just not the same. And, you know, I oftentimes lean, and I'm a little biased because this is where we place our personal investment, but more towards those emerging franchises. And uh, But there are some criteria that I look for when I analyze this. With those emerging brands, um, you know, the, the pros would be, You've got a seat at the table. You've got to say you right. go in your franchise owner number 15 and they know you by name and right. you were able to get the prime territory in your market. You're not working around someone else's territory. Um, now, the downside would be maybe there are marketing vehicles that haven't been tested. So I always want to make sure the franchisor is okay with us experimenting. Right. I mean, this is what right. we're doing with a few of our brands right now. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, with that emerging brand, you could say it's a little more risky. I mean, I definitely want to see that the model's been proven out. You know, I like to see it's in, in, in an industry with competitive advantages uh, right. over the peer group. But I also look at that leadership team. That is so important to me and to my clients is does that franchisor have previous franchise experience? Or right. if they don't, are they an industry guy and they've brought in franchise experience around them? I think Franchising can be a different animal, and I want to make sure we've got that support from mm-hmm. franchise owners from that leadership team. So, you know, a good example of that, I think of Scott Marr with Koala Insulation. Uh, mm-hmm. Scott and I got to know each other about a year and a half ago. He was the founder of Fleet Clean, built up that franchise system with a couple okay. hundred units, had a great exit, started Koala Insulation, saw an opportunity in that $52 billion market. And uh, when I got to know him, he had five locations. I said, Scott, wow. this one's getting ready to go on a run, and he right. built it to scale, and they've now got 160 territories sold and growing uh, within 18 months. And so being able to identify those winners, and Scott, I knew, had that background and that understanding of how franchising works. He's just now translating it to a different industry. That's what I look for. Do you find, John, that 
Um, you know, some of the people that you work with in the beginning, do, do they think small? We, we had Michael Gerber on the show a long time ago, and he said that, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, they fail not because they think too big, but they think too small. Do, do a lot of them have the mindset initially of just like one single unit and then they don't think anything above that? Or, or, or you know, are, are the people that you've worked with, do, do they see the big picture, like the story that you, you kind of just mentioned? You know, the vast majority of the ones that, that I work with are multi-territory, and, yeah. um, you know, they, they typically start out with three or five territories. Right. That right. being said, I've got a ter- I've got a deal signing this week for a serve pro-style franchise that, up in New Jersey that uh, is a one-unit deal, and he right. plans to open up more territories over time, mm-hmm. but he's hesitant out of those. And, and so everyone's different in, in their approach. Um but there are advantages to going multi-territory out of the gate, and you don't open up all territories on day one. You start marketing and a few zip codes within one, and then you expand from there. Um, but you've secured that territory, and I always tell right. clients, what's the downside here? I mean, ultimately, you decide right. not to open up those other ones. Well, you can sell them down the road. So, right. you know, I definitely find with Michael Gerber, great, great example there. I mean, it's, it's, or, you know, you think of, like, the growth mindset. And, um, yes. you yes. know, when I was a franchisor on the Shelf Genie side, we would take candidates through our discovery day process and, mm-hmm. you know, tell them everything that we would do for them and support them. And we would oftentimes get this blank stare at the end, and the franchise <laughs> owner would say, well, what do I do every day? You know, what, what am I supposed <laughs> right. to do? And my answer was always, yeah. and this is true. This is what separates the average franchise owner from the great ones yeah. is your ability to work with people. You know, your right. ability to mm-hmm. know that local market, get out yeah. and, and then hire, yep. attract, and retain, and incentivize, and ultimately make tough calls with talent is really the biggest factor. Yeah, I think that's 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 well said, John. I know you also talk about you know the the financial aspect. You talk about financials of franchising. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that, John, because that's always a big one for our guests too. We are our listeners, you know, is 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 the financial part of it. You know, it's it's it, it, it's it's a big decision, isn't it? Uh, what do you usually mm-hmm. advise when it comes to the financial part? Yeah, absolutely. And a couple of thoughts there. So first off, from a funding standpoint, you have different options. It can be self-funded. It can be self-funded mm-hmm. through retirement, what we call a ROBS right. program, where you roll over your mm-hmm. 401k or IRA. Yeah. Uh, we work with guidance, Fran Fund, Benetrans, all those guys. Yeah. Um, it, or it can be an SBA loan, you know, either the express loan or the 7A loan, or it can be alternative financing as well. Um, but what, you know, the question people oftentimes have is how much does it cost to get into a business? I'd say right. a lot of the deals that we're doing right now are in that $500 billion property services market. Uh, that's just really been attractive to a lot of people over the past 12 months. And within that, if you were to do one territory, you could get in for as low as 90000 or 100000 mm-hmm. Obviously, if you're doing three territories, you're pro- probably closer to two hundred. Um, right. But I'd say the majority of the deals I do are probably in the 150 to 250 range. That's probably okay. about 75% of my deals, and then the others would right. be higher, uh, you know, more retail-based. Um, so that would be categorized in your item seven. Your item seven within the FDD is where it discloses your all-in investment. It's typically given as a range, includes your franchise fee, includes your uh, startup, uh, you know, working capital, typically for about three to six months, and then right. includes any build-out cost, equipment cost, truck cost, uh, inventory, and such. Uh, and then on the financial side, the more exciting side, the item 19 of mm-hmm. uh, how much can you make by buying into the franchise system. You know, right. first, I always explain to my clients that there's three components here. One is, uh, you know, what is that annual cash flow going to look like, you know, once you're up and running? And right. then secondly, you've got to remember you're building towards an exit. There's going to be a value mm-hmm. down the road. You're building an asset that should pay off several times over what you initially put into the business. So don't lose sight of that. 
And then third, especially if you're coming from the corporate world, you can now write off a lot of expenses as a small business owner. You know, let, let's be honest, right. it's one of the last bastions of tax preferable treatment as being right. a business owner today. Right. Um, and so that is another thing when you're comparing apples to apples uh, to take into account. But what what I find is that a lot of people really have their eyebrows raised when we talk about what you can make in franchising. Um, yeah. You know, they're, they're – you know, typically your EBITDA margin is somewhere between 15% and 50%. Right. Oftentimes, right. the ones I work with are around that 25% mark. And when you extrapolate that over the revenue, um, it's really an attractive return. Do you find, too, John, that, I mean, some of the people that you work with, I mean, do they get involved with, with multiple brands, you know, like as, a, you know, in expanding their portfolio? Like you mentioned, you know, the one gentleman, he looked into mm-hmm. Surf Pro, and he started, so he starts off with yeah. one unit. But, I mean, do some of your clients, I mean, do they look at other brands as well, you know, to kind of like add to their portfolio? And is that a good idea, you know, to kind of like, um, I hate to use the word diversify, but, you know, to go outside other brands? Yeah. Hey, absolutely. I call it franchising as an asset class. It's looking at franchising yeah. as another uh, piece of that portfolio, and there are a lot of ways to cut it. Uh, right. I mean, that's exactly what we're doing here in Atlanta. So, you know, my yeah. two business partners and I, you know, we brought in a few investors. We've gone deep. We currently own three brands within that entity in Atlanta, and we plan on right. getting that to additional brands over time. But, no, I, I'm doing deals right now in Phoenix and in Maryland and in South Carolina where each of my clients is going with that multi-brand strategy, and they're building that's up great. a team uh, that, you know, just it, it leads to so many great things. You attract better talent. Right. You can promote within right. and provide all sorts of opportunities. Um, but if you're able to, especially in complementary type businesses, if yeah, you're able to get that yeah. uh, referral marketing, reduce right. customer acquisition on the front end, on the back end have shared services and producing economies of scale, it's a win-win. Yeah, it is. It is. It, 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 it's a great strategy, John. So what's, what's in your future, John? Like, I mean, if you could look into a crystal ball, you know, maybe three years, five years down the road, I mean, where do you see yourself in the organization? Yeah. Now, first off, on the consulting side, absolutely love what I do, and so would love to continue uh, with this. Just I, I've seen lives change, and being able yeah. to truly, truly, tangibly help people, I love what I do, and um, it, and so definitely there's that component. I like every three or four months placing an investment with a client uh, for those mm-hmm. that are looking for an equity partner. So over the next couple of years, I plan to build out that portfolio of you know more passive in, income streams. And then right. uh, ultimately what we're doing with Framebridge Capital is really exciting, and that's you know, why we're able to bring some investors on board with us uh, with what we're building here. So just we've got some young talent, great GM. He's 27 years old, leading the teams, and it's fun to coach him and just kind of watch that growth. Right. Um, so it couldn't be more bullish or excited about kind of the direction that we're, that we're on. And uh, like I said, it's it, 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 there's an unprecedented level of interest in the market, and Big piece of what I do is, you know, really try to expose. Hey, there's other sectors out there, whether it be in health right. and wellness or in the automotive or in uh, the property services. Like I said, which home services, uh, B2B services. Um, there's just a lot of ways to make money, and ultimately it comes down to, you know, which is your uh, best path. But uh, you know, fortunate and blessed to be where I am now to have had my eyes opened. You know, coming right. from the corporate world, I think <laughs> right. it was a great run. I appreciate everything, but have never looked back since make that turn. Did you see yourself as, as a young person? I mean, if you can go back in time, John, I mean, did you see yourself doing this or, you know, was this kind of like a surprise to you? Like if I were to ask your young, per, you know, your young self, uh, you, you know, when, when you were in your 20s, you know, like did you see yourself doing this in the future or was it kind of a surprise to you? No, I, I definitely saw myself in business ownership, did not know it would be through franchising. And, right. uh, 
you know, it, again, I thought fast food when I thought of franchising and didn't right, have my right. eyes open really until I yeah. moved in with Shelf Genie. So, no, it was hard for me to leave uh, the, the company I was with. I was with Accenture, went to grad school with Carter's. I yeah. uh, got to work with the president, fly on little airplanes, do some neat things internationally. You know, kind of that story script of how you would want your, the corporate career to go. However, they then put the golden handcuffs on you, which, you know, you hear about often. And so it was right. hard to make that jump. But, yeah. but again, once I made that jump, there was no looking back. And now, I mean, it, as you, you were kind of hinting earlier, I mean, it must be a tremendous feeling for you because you're really involved in their life. I mean, you're, you're changing their lives, aren't you? And you get to see that, and you're, you're playing a very big part in, in people's lives, aren't you? And that must be, in addition to the money, it must be tre- tremendously rewarding. It, it absolutely is. And, uh, you know, I, I've had clients come back and do multiple deals. You know, we've done multiple deals together, or yeah. I literally get referrals from clients every day, and I, I mean, I feel blessed, very blessed. That's great. What's what's the best way, John, for our listeners to get more information on you and you know, and all the different services you provide in the book? I mean, is, are there any like uh, websites that you you can direct them to, and you can, you can plug as many as you like? Frambridge Consulting would be the hub. Uh, that's okay. F R A N Bridge Consulting dot com. Uh, okay. Please connect with me on LinkedIn, but you know, on our website, certainly sign up for the newsletter. Uh, you know, I, I failed to mention this, but it's entirely free to work with me. Uh, you know, I essentially act as an executive recruiter. Franchisors pay me on the back end, sales and marketing expense, and none of that's passed on to my clients. Um, so, yeah, I would love to get on a call, understand your situation, give you some thoughts and ideas. And uh, certainly on LinkedIn, too, uh, we're pretty active with our content out there. So I would love to pass that along to you as well. Yeah, I've connected with you on LinkedIn. I saw you have a lot of followers there too, John. I think it's pretty impressive. You know, it's, you've really branded yourself, and I, I think that's wonderful. You know, you've done an excellent job, and, and you know, I was familiar with your name and franchising, which was why I was so excited to interview you today. And I'd, I'd like to, you know, invite you back, you know, in the next year or so as you continue to grow. Um, you know, and, and we could do this again. I would love to, Marty, anytime. This has been my pleasure, John, and we'll be right back with more franchise interviews. Coming up on segment two, you're going to hear what every franchisepreneur needs to know before buying a franchise. We're going to play a clip from our popular Great Quotes in Franchising podcast right here on Franchise Interviews. Franchisers, are you looking to reach aspiring entrepreneurs looking to buy a franchise? Are you looking to reach a highly educated audience on franchising? For over eight years, Franchise Interviews has been giving an up-close, behind-the-scenes look at franchising and entrepreneurship through our website, FranchiseInterviews.com, where you can hear and read interviews as well as get tips from some of the most successful sources in franchising. Our weekly franchise radio show where each week you get to hear a new interview with franchisers, franchisees, franchise authors, franchise experts and attorneys, and our podcast, Great Quotes in Franchising. For more information, go to FranchiseInterviews.com or call us at 610-905-2919. That's 610-905-2919. Hi, everyone. This is Marty McDermott from Franchise Interviews, and welcome to another edition of Great Quotes in Franchising, where each podcast you get to hear a great quote in franchising. Today, you're going to get to hear from a legend in franchising. It was about months ago. Don and I uh, were celebrating your anniversary of doing the radio show, and we put a lot of thought as far as who we'd like to have 
for a guest that particular day. And Don and I both agreed that that person should be George Nadef. And Mr. Nadef graciously accepted. For those of you who don't know George Nadef, uh, he's tagged as the guru in franchising. He's also the founder of Boston Chicken. He had a lot of great quotes that show. Uh, this is just one of them where uh, George gives his advice to aspiring entrepreneurs looking to buy a franchise. Here we go. Characteristics uh, that make a successful no-fat franchising. Well, you know, I've always told people uh, to play to their strengths. If you have a personality you know is not a charming one, don't get into the service business where you have to interact with people. Uh, because people business requires personality. So, you know, you're not asking someone to do something that's against their, their grain. So when uh, looking for a franchise, a person should consider the things that they've succeeded in. For instance, if they've been a coach of a soccer team and they had to inspire uh, the kids to run down that field and kick that ball and win, there's something about that individual that is inspiring. So he should look for something that maybe can be along those same lines, that he can use those talents of his. If he's been a teacher, uh, he's been a person that's worked with his hands. In other words, always, always play to your strength. Don't go into something that's opposite of your personality. That will cause a little bit of uh, a problem. Of course, most companies offer training, but you know, if, if you put a glove on, it should fit neatly in between the fingers. It shouldn't be something that once you put the glove on, you can't bend your fingers. It, it's as simple as that. So when you're buying a franchise, it should fit. And uh, I guess no fat specifically. You have a checklist you go down that you want each franchisee to be, or, or sometimes it's just having a feeling of a certain person. They well, it, it's clearly a financial issue. They, they have to have, in our case, pretty close to the ability to finance something between five and $600,000. So if an individual can't do that, then maybe he should look for other franchises like a Subway or a Quiznos or other that are around $200,000. So again, here we talk about fitting something that fits their pocketbook and not get into something that's way over their head and put themselves in financial jeopardy uh, by starting uh, in something that is too hard for them to overcome. So again, it should fit their wallet just like, like it should fit their personality. Right, absolutely. Uh, and you've, of course, been involved with so many franchises with all your different uh, businesses that you've done. Have there been times over the years that you sort of took a chance on someone that you weren't really sure, but you really liked them, and it, it, it's worked out? I'm sure you have a couple of success stories. Uh, yeah, there have been those cases, uh, uh, and again, there have been the opposite, and again, you learn by doing the thing. I would much prefer to tell a person that he's not qualified than qualified, and the rationale behind that, of course, is that I don't want to get somebody into something that he's not qualified for. There are so many franchise selections out there that if a person is doing their research, it allows them the opportunity to really, really take the time 
and investigate. And most of these companies already have franchises in place. They can pick up the phone and call up the franchisee and say, how are you doing? What kind of work did you do before you bought this franchise? Tell me about why you chose it. Would you do it again? I mean, this is a great opportunity as opposed to starting something on your own where you don't know whether you'll ever get the first base. You know, franchising in the beginning is very much like a, a baseball game. If you can buy third base as opposed to getting to first base, mm-hmm. and getting to first base by, by starting your own business, maybe you'll get to first base, but there's no guarantee. But if you can buy a franchise, you at least can get to third base. That's good baseball. And, you know, when you get to third base, your chances of getting home is a lot easier than being on first. Wow, that's a great analogy, isn't it, Tom? Yeah, yeah and it sounds like you're, you're a Red Sox fan. Thank you very much. <laughs> I love that quote from uh, Mr. Nadoff where he says that, you know, franchising is like a baseball game and it gives you the ability to start on third base. So, again, this is our second podcast. And, again, we'd love to hear your feedback. And uh, we'll see you again soon for another great edition of Franchise Interviews and Great Quotes in Franchising. Take care, everyone. Have a great day. Franchise Interviews. From Eastern Pennsylvania to Sydney, Australia. You're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews.